it's good to be here with you this morning. I'm grateful for the opportunity. I'm actually going to move this back because I don't want to use it. And um, I was thinking as we were worshipping that uh, one of the things that we have as a priority as a church is to minister to the Lord and to see our worship as a ministry and to see uh, it as a priority in terms of focusing on the Lord. And I remember when I first came across an understanding of that, it was I came across a little book called Ministry to the Lord, written by a Presbyterian woman minister. It's a very old one back in the 60s or 70s it was written. But it was just a great little book, and it helped me to appreciate the significance and the importance for our own lives of looking away from ourselves to God in singing and ministering to the Lord. And... uh, Today we're going to look at two people who ministered to the Lord in this life in terms of his uh, earthly um, manifestation as Jesus, the Son of God. And uh, I want us to look at two women who uh, have good and bad press. But let me first of all ask you this. How many times have you ever had someone say to you, how could you? in a disparaging way. How could you have done this or that or not done this or that? Um, And so I want to talk today a little bit about a tale of two coulds and we'll read them in here. Uh, When someone says to you, how could you have done this? That, of course, is a criticism. And that, of course, is uh, doing the blame game which might well be justified, but it doesn't necessarily help you. For example, I remember when our son was quite young, um, he was about probably four or five, and we had some people for dinner. And they uh, had teenage sons, late teenage sons, uh, the people that you all know. And we were sitting having a meal at our place, and for the first time we had allowed... Uh, Paul to use a wine glass for apple cider. And uh, he, in his enthusiasm and his excitement, was so excited, he had a couple of sips and put it back. And then as we were eating, he he became a little bit uh, animated in talking about something and he moved his hand and knocked the the wine glass over and spilled it and broke it. And it spilled everywhere. And immediately everyone froze. And he froze, thinking, "Uh uh-oh, I'm in for it. And there must have been an anointing in the room because I turned and put my hand on his shoulder and said, it's all right, it was just an accident. You're not in trouble. I didn't say, how could you have done that? And I don't know why, but in, in a way it was what we should do when particularly little children, on a learning curve, make that sort of mistake. And so the interesting thing was, he doesn't remember that at all, but the two teenage boys who were there, who witnessed what had happened, couldn't believe it. And they remembered it had a very big impact upon them, so their parents tell me. And so I want to read two stories that are scriptural. I'm doing so because... I was doing a private devotions a few weeks ago and as I was doing it, I felt the Lord speak to me and say, this is what you're to talk to the ladies about, this passage. And I thought, 
really? And so you don't want to hear so much about me, you want to hear about the Word of God. And so we're going to look at two, two passages. One, when Jesus was anointed at Bethany, which we find in Mark chapter 14. It's also found in Luke's Gospel and John's Gospel. John tells us that the woman that's being talked about here was probably Mary, the, the sister of Lazarus. Remember Mary and Martha? And remember how Mary was not the best when it came to doing the chores. Right, I'm sure you do. And so as you look at those two uh, pictures, the one that we're going to talk about here um, is the one on the right, is more the projection. Um, mind you, of course, they didn't have photography in those days. I just sort of throw that in as a little bit of an, an additive for you. Now, the Passover and the Festival of Unleavened Bread were only two days away, and the chief priests... And the teachers of the law um, were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. While he was in Bethany, reclining at the table of the, at, in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. What were they saying? How could you? Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She's done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you and you can help them anytime you want. But you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Let's read the second one. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who had lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. Now let's remember that the way in which they used to uh, have a meal was very similar to the, uh, the Roman culture. And so they would uh, have the food and the table um, in the centre and they would lie with their heads forward you know, on their stomachs to eat. Perhaps rest on one side, but their feet would be behind them. And so the table was set up almost like a star, a round table with people lying forward as they ate. I don't know how it helped their indigestion, but I know you're all thinking that. And so she could come and stand behind him, and as she wept standing, the tears would fall onto his feet. When the Pharisee who had invited him said this, saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. So that tells us something. The Pharisee invited him as a curiosity. 
He wanted to see whether he was really what people were talking about. Because if he was a prophet, he would know who she was and that there should be no contact between the two of them. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me. Teacher, he said, two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, said Jesus. So that's a parable about salvation. It's a parable about love and it's a parable about forgiveness. And we can learn something from that parable. We can learn that love comes after forgiveness. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You didn't give me any water for my feet. She wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not pour oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. See, hospitality demanded that he would have provided water for his feet, ointment for his head, and would have greeted him. And so the fact that he didn't do that tells us that he wasn't overly fussed about having Jesus there. It was more the curiosity value. He didn't do, he didn't make him feel special in any way. Jesus feels special in any way. And that tells us that. Jesus said to her, sorry, therefore I tell you her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So, let's think about this just for a little bit. The two women and their stories. I have a few scribbled points that I'll refer to. You see, recently I went to a funeral of someone who I haven't seen for about 30 years. Must be my age. But uh, a woman who used to uh, be in my previous church... And I knew the family quite well. I still do. We've exchanged Christmas cards over a long period of time. So we went to this funeral. And at the funeral, there were a lot of ministers and their wives, because it was of that era. Um, And we met a few people who we knew back in the 80s who were ministers. One of them and his wife we were talking to. And this person had made a comment. They had been ministers in Canberra for over a decade and uh, then moved away. And uh, we were talking and they said, to me, uh, they said to us, yes, we remember Canberra. The thing that we remember most about Canberra is how critical the people are of everything. And I can understand why they said that as a minister. But the interesting thing is, as they said that, I said to them, well, that's interesting. Uh, 
But I said, you know, I have found in Canberra that I came into the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I came into an ongoing sense of the awareness of the Lord. I came into a whole stack of the presence of God and gifting and things like that. And, you know, it doesn't matter where you are and it doesn't matter what the people are like, providing the Holy Spirit has hold of you, that's the dominant thing that will function in your life. And they agreed with me. But it has made me pause and look not at everyone else, but look at myself. To what degree am I the sort of person who says, how could you? Who looks for something to point out as being a fault. And I even hesitated to use that example for you because in saying it, I am actually in one way pointing out something that we need to be aware of, but a fault That's, that very much, I think, characterises Canberra. The rest of Australia finds fault with Canberra. So why is it that we ourselves do exactly what the rest of Australia does? Is there something there spiritually that we need to stop and think about? So these women both experienced the how could you. In the first story, it was just before Jesus um, was to be crucified, and the meal was occurring in the midst of a festival. And that particular festival had a specific emphasis that people were to look after the poor during the festival. They were to give alms to the poor. And so when the disciples say, you know, that money could have been given to the poor, it was Judas in particular, that money could have been given to the poor, they were bringing or he was bringing the religious attitude and not recognising the significance of who Jesus was and the action of the woman in anointing his head with oil uh, for his burial. And Jesus, in trying to dismiss the criticism and to affirm her, says she did all that she could. She did all that she could. And I want to focus on that for a moment. What is it that we do in our lives that is ministering to Jesus by perhaps ministering to someone else? Because throughout the Bible, we are told to love God and to love our neighbours as ourselves. And whenever we are ministering to one another, doing whatever we could for someone else, we are also doing that to the Lord. And we have a visual example of it in this particular illustration. Or alternatively, we need to see, I believe, that Jesus' response to us is never to say you've done the wrong thing, as he didn't do to the woman, but his response is to recognise when we are ministering to him that we are doing what we could. She was extravagant. And in the renewal setting that we've had the last 20 or 30 years, there, um, there's at one stage a major emphasis on being extravagant towards God. And that's a positive thing. 
but what I think that we need to just remind ourselves of is that, you know, most of us do what we can. We do what we can for others and for the Lord. And it's important for us to not be lazy in that, but to be willing to do what God asks us to do. And at times to be extravagant in our service towards God. These are acts of devoted service. They're not an expression of gifts. You don't see an expression of the gift of the Spirit other than perhaps a gift of generosity in both actions. And the motivation of Mary, the sister of Lazarus, was a sense of having come to know Jesus over a long period of time and having a sense of the significance of the occasion just before his burial. And we do what we can to minister to the Lord when we get a grasp of the significance of the occasion in terms of the significance of what is happening for the Lord, not just for ourselves or for those around us. And so I suggest to you um, or say to you, don't underestimate when someone does something, when they're doing it with devotion and a heartfelt attitude of love towards God. They are offering what they can. And Jesus receives that when it's done sincerely, even if it's an act like the widow putting two mites into the temple treasury. He sees the significance of what's happening uh, from the point of view of that person's life. So we might offer something that isn't extravagant, but it's all that we can offer. And God recognises that. He doesn't say, how could you do so little? He says, she did all that she could. And there are probably things in your life that you can think about that have happened in the last little while where you've done what you could. And God sees that and receives that. It's interesting that Mary was motivated because she already had relationship. She already knew who Jesus was and she was loved. But the other woman was in a totally different kettle of fish. Um, she was someone who was just entering into relationship. And we don't know what had transpired for her to feel forgiven or blessed. We don't know. We don't know who the person was. We know it was a different instance than what Mary had done. There's a whole stack of theories as to who this woman might have been. But putting all those theories aside, she cut across what was acceptable behaviour. She didn't let that stop her from just coming and ministering and worshipping. Um, Jesus. And of course, there is the criticism that comes from Simon the leper in this instance. How could, you, how could you allow her to do what she's doing to you? And yet, 
Jesus sees in the actions of the woman something that he doesn't see in the hospitality of Simon the leper. Simon's an important man. He's invited Jesus. Jesus has come into his house. Um, it may even have been that he was healed by Jesus. And this was his way of, of responding. Um, and when I say healed, I'm talking about healed from leprosy. The woman, on the other hand, we don't know what she's being healed of. But in receiving her offering, with the alabaster jar and the tears on, the, um, uh, on his feet and the wiping of, of uh, his feet with her hair, in receiving her ministry to him, Jesus recognises that this woman understands who he is and that there is a sense of forgiveness. And he teaches Simon and us something incredibly important, and it's this. To know that you're loved by God, you have to first of all know that you need forgiveness. You have to first of all realise that you're not okay in our human state outside of God. And that we need to have the forgiveness of God for our sin. And this woman, who was an immoral woman, knew that. And Jesus points it out. You see, you were healed, Simon, is what he's basically saying. And you appreciate that, but you don't appreciate Nellie as much the healing that this woman has had, which has been a healing of her soul and her relationship, her sense of identity. Wholeness came to the woman somehow in her interaction with Jesus, which she expressed in extravagance with weeping and so on because she knew she had been forgiven far more than Simon knew that he had been forgiven. And it's important for us to recognise that love follows forgiveness. It flows out of forgiveness. Because often in our culture today, love is emphasised without any need for there to be forgiveness or correction. And, yet, and that's the reason that love seems, one of the reasons it seems so shallow. It doesn't cost anything. Or it costs very little. And in that second parable, Jesus says, your faith has saved you. Saved literally means has made you well. And it's talking about spiritually as well as everything else. And if we can't come to the feet of Jesus and worship him in that way, if we can't be extravagant in that way to the Lord himself, not necessarily to anyone else, although we can be ministering to the Lord when we're ministering to someone else. But when we come and we minister to the Lord, whether it be in worship, whether it be in acts of service, uh, um, extravagant things, as an expression of gratitude in our hearts to what God has done for us, when we are motivated out of love, because we know that we don't deserve the forgiveness we've received, that we can't earn it, 
When we know that, then there is a health that comes into our souls. And Jesus says, your faith has saved you. And so rather than being critical of her, Jesus affirms her. He's more critical of Simon for his criticism of her because he was more concerned with society's values than with what was right before God in responding to this woman who had fallen badly. And let me end with this. We should stop and think about why are we invited into the kingdom of God? We're not invited into the kingdom of God to be cannon fodder for God. We're invited into the kingdom of God so that we can become the very person that he originally saw us being. So that he can work in our lives to overcome all the damage stuff, to overcome all the hurts, to transform us into people that are far better than what we would have been without him. That he would finish the job in our own life. So we can be a great age and still enjoying the blessing and the fine-tuning that God brings into our lives. Again and again and again. I think that we as men and women should think about how we use the word could in our lives. Do we say she did all that she could? Or do we say, how could you? Something to think about. Bless you. When I woke up this morning, I knew someone was praying for me for today. So thank you, whoever that was. And let me encourage you as a group, be prayerful for the meetings, for the people who come. Don't underestimate the significance of prayer. So whoever was praying, you did all that you could. Thank you.